It was 1440, nine years after Joan of Arc was horrifically burned at the stake. French King Charles VII had moved on with the difficult work of uniting the kingdom and ending the long war. The king was 37 now, but war had aged him well beyond that. Though the English forces and their allies were all but defeated, it was still a grueling effort to recapture French cities from their control. It was probably a lot easier when Charles had Joan of Arc and her divine forces helping him, but those years were well behind him. Now the teenage war hero was all but a memory. On one particular afternoon, the king was surrounded by the usual courtiers and well-wishers when a guard announced Charles VII had visitors. This wasn't unusual. The king held guests all the time. Military advisors, allies, diplomats, merchants, anyone important enough to earn a moment of his precious time. But today's visitors were different. They were peasants from rural northern France, they had no riches to offer, no armies to pledge. Instead, what they brought was far more valuable. See, these visitors were Joan of Arc's two surviving brothers, and with them was one additional guest, a woman claiming to be Joan of Arc herself. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on Joan of Arc. Last time, we told the story of this teenage peasant girl who united the French army, got Charles VII crowned, and was burned at the stake by her enemies. In the centuries since, journalists and conspiracy theorists have looked for explanations on how she was able to accomplish so much for France in just two years' time, or if there's more to her heroic story. Today, we'll explore a few conspiracies that call Joan of Arc's legacy into question, like the idea that Joan wasn't some peasant, but a well-trained secret royal, or that her religious devotion was actually a cover for a deeply held belief in witchcraft. Finally, we'll dive into the rumor that Joan of Arc wasn't burned at the stake, but instead lived out her days hidden in rural France. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. 
That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. Let's quickly review the facts. We know Joan of Arc was deeply religious even before her divine visions began. And when those godly premonitions started commanding her, she listened. They told her to find the future King Charles VII, help him win the war, get him crowned, and liberate France from the English. This was no small task for someone without military training or experience. But with Joan's faith guiding her, She was able to bend the ear of French royalty and rally the king's troops. Her presence as a mascot on the battlefield won the French army victory after victory, pushing English occupiers back and clearing a path for the coronation of Charles VII. But eventually, Joan's luck ran out. Captured by her enemies, she was put on trial for heresy, convicted and burned at the stake in front of a jeering crowd. The French national icon had met a martyr's end. A large part of the admiration for Joan of Arc's story comes from one modest fact. She started off as nothing more than a poor farmer's daughter in rural France. However, there are some theorists who believe, if that was the case, she wouldn't have been as successful. Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory that Joan of Arc had more power than we know. She was secretly a member of the French royal family. Supporters of this theory believe this could explain the mind-boggling details of Joan's story. During her upbringing, she was uneducated and a peasant, something that would surely make it tough to rise in the ranks and win over the French nobility. Not to mention lead troops into battle and spar with educated prosecutors during her trial. French investigative journalist Marcel Gay is one of the leading proponents of this theory, and he has an idea on how Joan's bloodline ties to the royal family. At the time, it was a well-circulated rumor that Charles VII's mother, Isabeau of Bavaria had an affair with her brother-in-law, Duke Louis of Orléans. And that led to the birth of a daughter outside the marriage. A daughter who would later come to be known as Joan of Arc. Which, if true, made Joan of Arc and Charles VII half-siblings. It would also have spelled trouble for the royal family. 
When power is passed down through progeny, family affairs become a national crisis. The king can't have young, non-biological children running around the royal court, fracturing the family tree. Besides, while kings could be forgiven for fathering children outside the marriage, queen consorts were not afforded the same luxury. Gay's theory seems to imply that this child's existence would have been such a threat to Isabeau's royal standing that she would have gone to great lengths to cover it up. Granted, at the time, stories about royal secret heir scandals were commonplace. While most of them were just gossip, the consequences for said gossip could be devastating, which is why it might not be that far-fetched to believe Isabeau would have had her daughter raised in secret. This is where the idea goes beyond typical royal shenanigans and forms into a real conspiracy theory. Gay writes that baby Joan was sent to live somewhere safe and secure, where she was quietly educated. He claims she was not only taught English, but also the romantic languages like Portuguese, Italian, and Spanish, and trained for warfare. Which could explain Joan's influence and skill. In that era, education for commoners, let alone women, was a rare opportunity. Yet Joan of Arc managed to rise and do what no one thought was possible, pull France from its depths and guide them towards victory. Gay and other theoretical writers like Pierre du Sermois claim there's more clues suggesting this was her true origin story. During her trial, Joan supposedly admitted she never knew her last name. And she claimed there wasn't a record of her birth. Well, maybe that was a sign her identity was meant to be nebulous. But here's where the plot holes started to form. According to historian Francis Geese and her book, Joan of Arc, The Legend and the Reality, birth records weren't kept for any commoners during that era. Without parish registers to keep track of that information, not knowing exactly when or where someone was born was a pretty universal experience. Ah, fair. But on top of that, historians note Joan of Arc had an unusually quick mind. During one instance in her trial, she was being grilled by a prosecutor with a thick French accent. He asked her what dialect the voices in her head spoke, and she snapped back, quote, a better one than yours. She definitely held her own during the trial, but being sharp-witted doesn't necessarily equate to being a royal. True, but this theory also ties back to another interesting plot point— the moment Joan of Arc first met the future king, Charles VII. If you'll recall, Charles had no reason to believe her story or trust her in any way when they were first introduced. Joan of Arc had to convince him that both she and her visions were legitimate. At that first meeting, we know she said something or gave some kind of sign that made Charles trust her. Right. But to this day, historians have no idea what she said or did, which is why some speculate that maybe Joan revealed she was his half-sister. Perhaps just saying that was enough to convince him, especially if he'd heard rumors about Joan in the past. Or who knows, maybe she gave some kind of royals-only hand gesture. 
That would be persuasive. And I imagine there's not a lot that would convince the future king of France to let a commoner woman lead his troops. Not in that time period. Okay, so just to recap the supposed evidence, Joan of Arc was unusually smart and didn't know where she was born or what her real last name was. And she was able to somehow convince Charles to take her under his wing. All things that could be explained if she was some unwanted royal sent to the countryside, yet trained like aristocracy. I see where theorists are coming from, but I just don't think the evidence is concrete enough to hang our hats on. There was no actual proof of any top-secret warrior training in Joan's early life. Even if there were, to what end? There's no reason to educate and give military training to a royal you were hoping would never be discovered in the first place. Valid point. But then there's the supposed affair between Isabeau and Louis of Orléans. Isabeau was plagued with accusations of promiscuity and infidelity throughout her marriage, and she likely spent a lot of time with her brother-in-law, considering they were at court together. Even still, it feels like this conspiracy theory is just a muddled version of another rumor circulating at the time, that Charles VII was actually the love child of Queen Isabeau and Louis of Orléans. Ah, so you're saying it's possible the affair did happen, but Charles was the product, not Joan. It's possible. That would explain why earlier treaties stripped him of his power and why he had to retake the crown by force. As for Joan's intelligence and wit during her trial, I just don't find it difficult to believe commoners could have also been clever. It doesn't require secret royal training to rattle an unfair prosecutor. Besides, there's no evidence of her ever using established military tactics. So you're not buying into the idea Joan of Arc was Isabeau's hidden weapon? If Joan of Arc had been a secret royal, it's unclear what Isabeau's plan was exactly. Have a child out of marriage, send her to the country, train her in secret, just in case your heir to the throne needs military aid in the future? It doesn't add up. Hmm, it is a fun conspiracy, but you're right. It's not clear what the intention behind Isabeau's actions would be. It could answer some questions, like why Charles accepted her story and welcomed Joan in the first place. Well, then again, there could be a dozen other things she did to convince him. Exactly. But if Joan of Arc wasn't a secret royal then what did she do to convince Charles VII of her prophecies? Well, some theorists say Joan might have turned to dark magic and might have used witchcraft to secure her legacy. Coming up, Joan's possible connection to a powerful witch cult. They're responsible for some of the most horrifying acts of violence ever known. Men and women who went to lethal extremes. But why? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, follow the life and crimes of an actual murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. 
Using extensive research and details you won't hear anywhere else, Serial Killers examines the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Listen now and catch our special series on manhunts, where we follow the processes police use as they hunt for murderers in treacherous terrains and unusual locations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. While it's tempting to believe Joan of Arc was Charles VII's secret half-sister, trained as a warrior and sent to his aid 17 years later, there's just not enough evidence and too many plot holes to consider that the reality. But there is another tantalizing fact about Joan's life that might explain a lot. The supernatural visions and voices she received beginning in her childhood. As a major part of Joan's legacy, these voices were thought to be messages from God himself, divine spirits sent to lead France to victory. But what if those messages were coming from somewhere else entirely? Excellent point, which brings us to our second conspiracy theory that Joan of Arc was religious, but devoted to a witch cult, secretly working against the Catholic Church. Historian and folklorist Margaret Murray was the leading proponent of this theory. She specialized in pagan folklore, and in particular, something known amongst early 20th century historians and spiritualists alike as the witch cult hypothesis. In her 1921 book, The Witch Cult in Western Europe, Murray describes it not as an organized religion, but rather a set of collected beliefs and stories passed around the common class. While today we might imagine a cult to be more contained, she believes this witch cult was more or less all over Europe, specifically in France and England. Murray describes their ideals as a blend of pagan rituals, a little superstition, and a little Christianity mixed together. And the supposed narrative of this witch cult was that of a dying god, which is actually a common theme in a few religions. Stories featuring a divine figure who comes down to earth, but has to die while they're here to be considered truly divine. As for evidence, Murray points to the many followers Joan of Arc had during her time. She believes many of them saw her as one of these dying gods. Which is understandable. 
She seemed to have a direct line to God through her visions, and when she faced potential execution, her life story suddenly lined up perfectly with that particular myth, that a god had to die before its time under holy circumstances. If Joan were a proponent of this religious belief herself, it made sense why she was so calm and composed during her trial. Perhaps she knew if she were executed, she'd be fulfilling a dying God prophecy. Murray goes on to allege that for the church, the trial was more about stamping out this commoner religion by executing one of its biggest heroes. It was a religious trial after all. Murray also notes that after the verdict, Joan of Arc was never handed over to the secular authorities to stand trial for other crimes. Instead, Joan's prosecution was all done through the religious court. If Joan had been an ordinary heretic or prisoner of war, Murray says that according to custom, she should have been handed over to secular authorities. But she argues the court may have known of her religious power and the influence she had over her followers. The real reason she was executed so publicly was to send a message. According to Murray, Joan of Arc was only one casualty of this war between the Catholic Church and the supposed pagans of this witch cult. Just a few decades prior, there were similar trials in the French region of Lorraine. There were other prosecutions against knight and rumored black magic practitioner Gilles de Ray in 1440, and another against the supposed witches of Brascia, Italy in 1457. After these trials in 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued a papal degree maligning witchcraft and authorizing an inquisition. According to this theory, Joan of Arc's execution was not about the war, but rather a larger campaign by the Catholic Church to stamp out pagan religion in Europe. And it's possible that Joan of Arc, as a commoner, would have been more in line with the broader beliefs of the lower classes, not the church. Perhaps the beliefs of this witch cult. But let's talk evidence. A lot of the information in support of this theory was actually brought up during Joan of Arc's trial. One main issue causing doubt in Joan's Christian faith was the contradiction between her alleged religious devotion and her willingness to commit what the church called mortal sins. We know Joan of Arc never killed people in battle because of her religious beliefs, but this piousness didn't extend to everything she did. For starters, she attacked Paris on a religious feast day. She also allegedly stole the horse of the Bishop of Saint-Lys. Not to mention she wore male clothing, which was a huge religious crime in this era. And while she didn't execute people herself, she did consent to the death of pro-English mercenaries. These hardly paint the picture of someone who refused to sin in the eyes of a Christian god. Additionally, one of Joan of Arc's followers, a woman named Pierron, who also saw visions of God, was accused, tried, and burned for witchcraft too. Theorists wonder if that's merely coincidence. Well, there's one more similarity between some occult beliefs and the fate of Joan of Arc. 
Apparently, a common rite among lower class religions was to burn a dead body and throw the ashes into running water. This was part of the dying god myth, and it's exactly what happened to Joan of Arc's ashes in Rouen. While it's true the church was zealous in its prosecution of Joan of Arc, for this theory to have more merit, we'd have to look at other aspects of Joan's personal life. She attended and lived next to a Christian church, saw visions of Catholic saints, and visited other nearby churches as a young girl. If all that was for show, her dedication to this performance started very early. Allegedly, she also convinced the French army to behave better because of her own piousness. On top of that, Joan of Arc asked a priest to hold up a cross so she could pray to it at the time of her execution. If she was only pretending to be Christian, she kept up the ruse until the literal moment of her death. Unless she was cursing the religion that condemned her to death. Maybe. But Joan of Arc was explicitly asked under oath about any allegiances she had to Wiccan practices. Not only did she supposedly show contempt for all pagan practices, she claimed she didn't even know what those practices were. So the idea that there was a witch cult of Western Europe that all commoners adopted contradicts Joan's testimony. Plus, there's no actual evidence of Joan of Arc performing any occult rituals. The real kicker is, even before Joan of Arc made a name for herself in the war, the Catholic clergy had supported her immensely. So maybe we're reading too much into it. Perhaps, like most commoners of that era, Joan had some non-Christian beliefs, Maybe she'd read pagan stories and heard about rituals that were passed from person to person. And while she committed a lot of mortal sins for someone who was purportedly guided by her Christian faith, she certainly wasn't the first or the last. Isn't that the truth? I'd be willing to bet she had pagan supporters amongst her followers, but there's no evidence that Joan of Arc herself was secretly into paganism, Wiccan, witchcraft, or any other occult groups. Agreed. I think it's reasonable that she held some non-Christian beliefs alongside her Christian ones. But if you think a rabbit's foot is lucky, it doesn't make you a practitioner of occultism. I'm not sure I'm buying this theory either. So, say Joan of Arc wasn't a secret royal or part of some witch cult. There's one more conspiracy that has dogged Joan of Arc's legend since the day she was executed. The idea that maybe she wasn't burned at the stake at all. Coming up, Joan of Arc reemerges years after her death. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to our story. There have been dozens of legends surrounding the life and fate of Joan of Arc, 
primarily because her legacy was incredibly groundbreaking for the time she lived in. After all, she was a woman. A young and intelligent woman. Who was also a warrior. A prophet. A crossdresser. And, perhaps most dangerously, a leader. And what would make her story even more incredible than the one that's written? How about a story that doesn't end when we think it does? This brings us to conspiracy theory number three. Joan of Arc wasn't burned at the stake, but instead went on to live a much longer life. I'll admit, this one was pretty wild, even for me. But in a period of history where documents are scarce and the truth is anyone's guess, I feel like we have to entertain it all the same. Some supporters of this theory say she escaped by marrying a French knight named Robert de Armoise. Others say she was in the flames that day, but God spared her and she was able to escape. But for now, we'll focus on the most popular sub-theory. At some point during Joan of Arc's trial, at a date very close to her execution, Joan was allegedly swapped with a lookalike. The real Joan of Arc allegedly escaped and hid out for years until it was safe to emerge. People who believe in this theory point to one very specific piece of evidence that Joan of Arc's execution platform was apparently built unusually high. It's been widely speculated that the pyre was built so tall to prolong Joan's death. But maybe it was so that no one could get a good look at her face, because it wasn't the real Joan of Arc up there after all. I'm not ruling it out yet, especially because three years after her supposed execution, a woman claiming to be Joan of Arc supposedly emerged in France. Well, there'd been a few fraudsters who'd tried a griff like this before, but this woman had the support of Joan of Arc's own brothers. The trio allegedly began traveling around France, telling their story. While receiving lavish gifts and attention. But it said even Joan's own comrades were stunned to find she was who she claimed to be. Many of them confirmed this woman's identity as the real Joan of Arc and claimed she wasn't an impersonator or a fraud. The woman supposedly rode horses expertly, just like Joan, who famously relied on her horse in battle. Most commoners, particularly women at that time, didn't have those same skills. Rumor has it she and her brothers even visited King Charles VII in 1440. But that's when it all unraveled. King Charles VII had heard about Joan of Arc's supposed return, and he was prepared to greet her with one simple question. What was the secret she'd told him when they first met? The secret historians grapple with to this day. Only the woman didn't know the answer. Instead, she confessed to the grift and revealed her real name was Jeanne de Armoise. She was just another fake pretending to be the resurrected Joan of Arc. Well, maybe that particular Joan of Arc was an imposter, but it doesn't prove she didn't escape. It's possible she dodged execution and just remained hidden. 
Having done everything she'd been prophesied to do, crown the king, free Orléans, and save France, well, she was finally free to return to her quiet life. While entertaining, the theory also falls apart when you remember the English deliberately publicized Joan of Arc's execution, specifically to avoid rumors of an escape. Plus, there were so many eyewitnesses, and the executioner showed them Joan of Arc's body after she died, before her remains were burned two more times. The English also threw all the charred ash and debris into the Seine River to prevent any relics from being collected. They wanted to erase any doubt. Joan of Arc was dead. This conspiracy theory tends to upset a lot of historians, and with good reason. If Joan of Arc didn't die at the stake, she was just a talented military leader, not a martyr for the nation of France. Well, part of me hopes she did make a daring secret escape. I just don't find it likely. This is admittedly a stretch. But if this theory is true, maybe our first theory also makes sense. Well, think about it. If Joan of Arc actually was a royal, that would certainly be a reason to sneak her out of an enemy prison before she was executed. Maybe the monarchy was behind Joan of Arc's story after all. That would make sense if there was even a shred of evidence suggesting that. As we've said in the past, the more people involved with a conspiracy, the more likely it is for the truth to make the rounds. In this case, the secret would have been known by at least Joan, whoever helped with the escape on the inside, the doppelganger, and maybe even her double's family and friends. Which is a lot of people to keep quiet. This theory also requires us to believe Joan of Arc was comfortable with another woman being burned in her place. It doesn't fit with the pious Christian she'd been up to this point. I have to say, upon closer examination, this theory might be the most ridiculous of them all. Hmm. Well, actually, now that I've heard it, I find it a little more believable. But I think we have to settle for the truth. Which is, there's a lot of things about Joan's life we will never really understand. With all of Joan's exploits, she is the only person in history to earn a very unique achievement. Joan of Arc was made a saint in 1920, making her the only person ever to be both condemned and canonized by the Catholic Church. And she did it all before age 20. She may be, in fact, history's most prolific and rebellious teenager. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with a new episode. For more information on Joan of Arc, we found Joan of Arc, The Legend and the Reality by Francis Geese, particularly helpful during our research. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. 
Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Spencer Howard. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Eric Cunningham, edited by Aaron Lan and Lori Gottlieb, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, researched by Bradley Klein, recorded by Freddie Rivera, produced by Joshua Kern, and sound designed by Michael Langsner. Our hosts are Carter Roy and me, Molly Brandenburg. Dahmer, Bundy, Gacy, Ramirez. You know the names, but do you know the whole terrifying story? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, take a horrific journey through the origin, evolution, and madness of a real-life murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Some were charismatic, others were calculated, but all of them were disturbingly deadly. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify.